0: A good shot with Patalainen. Here's Richardson. It's a great goal for Aberdeen. Jogali, Gali,
1: totally helpless. That's an astonishing strike
0: by Richardson. The 13th spinner of the match, and it's unlucky for Torino. It's Richardson's fourth goal of the season, but unquestionably his best. Good evening and welcome to episode 101 of By The Minute Aberdeen podcast. Now of course Room 101 was famously George Orwell's invention in 1984, a place where your worst fears come true. Well, in tonight's episode we discuss a home hounding by Celtic and the prospect of a manager going to Ibrox. Maybe not our worst fears, but not far from it. However, don't let that put you off listening as we prepare a top guest to chew the considerable fat of the last week. Now with us we've got uh, first off the editor of the esteemed Red Final, currently celebrating an astonishing twenty-fifth season of biting at the ankles of those in power at Pataudry. It's Chris Crichton. Chris, thanks for joining us.
2: No problem, Richard. How you doing?
0: Then we're delighted to welcome back the man from the Times Sports Desk in Scotland, the one that doesn't fancy himself as some kind of latter-day Elton John. It's Michael Grant. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: Hi Richard, the, a marvellous introduction there Room 101, Everybody's <laughs> Worst Nightmare And here's Michael Grant <laughs> <laughs> I was saving that big reveal for Martin includes
3: Martin, how are you? I'm great Richard, thanks
0: Well let's get on to it then It's been an up and down week I think would be the fairest way to to call it Firstly, the much anticipated home game against Celtic Last Wednesday night Now Chris, the um, first decision to be made Was one week probably could have guessed in advance, knowing Derek McKinnis' both natural caution, I think, plus his respect for Andy Considine, it was who was going to replace Ryan Christie in the starting 11, and he opted to put Andy Considine back to left-back and Shinney into centre midfield. Now, there was some early success of that move, with Graham Shinney getting on the ball quite a bit and getting a couple of early shots off. It was always going to be the change, I think, that was going to happen, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, I think if you look at the, the games over the last couple of years where uh, Graham Shinnie has, has played at left back, um, that match against Celtic didn't fit the profile. He's played there very infrequently and they've always been in games where the team was going to be doing most of the attacking, um, games that with the respect to the opponents the among the easier ones in on the fixture, list. so I don't think it was ever any um, any likelihood that he was going to be, that he was going to be uh, staying there against Celtic. He was always going to be moving, and that obviously meant it was uh, it was an obvious switch to bring Considine back in at left back. And I think Shinny did what what Schinney always does in midfield. I think he you know he, he put in a uh, a lot of uh, a lot of running. He got forward quite a lot in the, in the early stages of the match. I think the a couple of those shots that you were referring to possibly were. Um, I know everyone at the club always says how great Shani's shooting is in playing, but they were perhaps ones that you think, well, if, if they'd fallen to someone else, you know, maybe McLean would have uh, been able to direct them away from the goalkeeper, um, and you know, maybe if that had happened, the game might have transpired somewhat differently. But I think, um, in many respects, it was one of those uh, one of those nights where. Whatever Derek McInnes did with his team selections, he would have needed an awful lot um, to go his way for it to have ended in a positive result.
0: Michael, there's no question that uh, McInnes did try a lot of very specific things to try and close down specific Celtic threats. Uh, For example, we were closing everybody in the Celtic jersey down apart from Bayata, a tactic I think that Samirin used at Celtic Park to pretty good effect last season as well. Um, full-backs were asked to be very tight On James Forrest and Callum McGregor And I think there was also a definite attempt To try and have two up top When we had the ball and McInnes referenced this afterwards mm. He said try and be brave and, and have both Rooney and May in attacking positions These didn't really come to fruition Though did they? No, no they
1: didn't I, I also thought that he tried to put Mackay Stephen on, on Kieran Tierney Um and, and to try and track his his runs and that that didn't really work out either. Um, Celtic Celtic almost played with a back three really because Tierney and he always he does tend to do this in in all but the elite Champions League games. But Tierney play is played so far up the pitch that he he isn't really a conventional left back in in SPFL games and that included against us on on Wednesday. It's, <laughs> actually, as soon as you see his starting position, you think it's a bit disheartening because it shows that they're going to be on the, the front foot against Aberdeen. They're not thinking that we're going to be on the back foot against them a lot. Um, so that meant, and I think this was a point that McInnes made afterwards, that they had an extra guy in the midfield, especially when we've got Rooney and May up front. Um, so, you know, there, w- there was a overloading of numbers there, but, uh, you know, I don't really think that any of the Aberdeen players... Outfield players, with the exception of Shinny, played well. You know, uh, uh, Shinny was the only one that I could see really that was um, covering a lot of ground and, and putting tackles in. There was one really big tackle with Brown that kind of came out 50 You know, and I, I just wasn't seeing enough of that from from the other guys. Aberdeen didn't play that well, and Celtic did. Um, and I, I saw Celtic again on the, the weekend against Comanik, and, it, and it, it's a completely different. Level of performance from Celtic, the tempo is different, uh, the team's different. I mean, they, they rested a few players against Comanek, and I think maybe we're. I, I don't. I'm not trying to sound like we're kidding ourselves on, and you know, m- making a, making Aberdeen out to be bigger and better than they are. But I do think that Celtic look at Aberdeen as a, a major fixture, especially at Pottodry domestically. And um, I saw Lee Griffiths and Olivier and Cham. Both posted social media messages uh, on the day before or the day off the game, saying, "You know, big one tonight." And and uh, you know, I think that is revealing. I think that uh, Rogers gets it into their head that they're going to face a, a, a challenge at Aberdeen, and so you know, we're never going to get them when they're kind of half-cocked and, and a bit, you know, vulnerable and sleepy. I think they they, they gear themselves up for for Aberdeen, especially Pato. So. You know, for all that, I don't think we played well, and I think that some of the tactics uh, didn't work out, clearly didn't work out, and the selection could have been different. Um, Celtic, we also have to recognise that Celtic played exceptionally well. There was a general feeling around the club from people that you speak to a lot that that was the best they have played for a long, long time in Scotland, you know, and um, we have to suck it up.
0: Martin, um, Michael talks about how well Celtic are, you know, I think commonly regarded to have played last Wednesday, and they they did, they used the ball tremendously well, I thought. Um, They were were solid in most areas of the park. He talks about us maybe not playing so well, and the execution for all the tactical tweaks that McInnes tried to play, and maybe he might want, with hindsight, to replay it and go a few different directions. But the execution from us wasn't always so good, and I think as much as anything else, rather than maybe players off the game, it just really exposed limitations of certain of our players. Even Graham Shinney, who many probably regarded as the best Aberdeen player on the night, his, his passing throughout the 90 minutes was, was shown to be a weak spot.
3: It was, yeah. I mean, Shinney was probably like, I agree with um, with Michael there that Shinney probably is the only one who gets anywhere close to even kind of pass marks. But there was a few other guys on the pitch that night that um, kind of let, no. They did not let themselves down, but their limitations were shown. I mean, we're big fans of Considine on the podcast, but um, he had a, another torrid evening against Celtic. Um, I, really, I feel sorry for him when he comes in for these games because uh, he's almost on a hide into nothing. Um, and we mentioned about the tactical tweaks; they were we tried, the tried little things. It just seemed to be that when there were silly things like when we were pushing forward on them to try and force Craig Gordon to kick, for example. Um, try to force them to surrender possession I suppose so they can't build out from the back uh, People were just then caught, caught Out of position And so Celtic were then finding just finding room And that was the thing that I, that was really Disappointed me more that they just seemed to find all this Space, especially in the middle of the park um, Where, you no, know, we've done 101 episodes of this podcast um, We've spoken about What is it, maybe 13 or 14 Times we've played Celtic since since we started and every time we talk About you can't give guys like Scott Brown loads of room because that's what he relishes And yet again well, well Scott Brown didn't have his greatest game in a green and white Shirt he found tons of room Was just able to like do do His job, just pass, find find room Pass the ball to the, the talented players And we just Didn't, I mean I hate the phrase Didn't get a foothold in the game but we didn't Seem to try to impress Our, our game on them We just after that first five minutes, we had that nice little opening spell where we had a couple of little half chances. It was just sort of fighting against the wind from then on.
1: Man, those those couple of Shiny chances that you mentioned, uh, or, or you mentioned, Richard, but yeah, I don't know, every time I see Shinny taking a shot, they, you know that's the kind of shot that you tend to see from him. You know, it's kind of it's low and it's straight at the keeper and you're always kind of disappointed that he's not really hit them properly. I mean, I, I thought... That, that although the first 10, 12 minutes, whatever it was, before the first goal were, were OK, there wasn't much more than that. It was a, I thought it was a little yeah. bit low-key from both teams. And I've got to say, I, I, at no point did I really feel that our support really was galvanised on Wednesday. You know, I've heard Petteri a lot louder than that for Celtic games. I, I didn't really think that our support... Was um, you know was maybe fully believing either you know I don't know maybe you guys thought differently but I I, I don't think it was a, a particularly great atmosphere even, even you know obviously it changes when the goals go in but yeah. um, even before then you
3: know? personally for personally for me uh, Michael I, I went into the game I, I genuinely felt we could have got something um, maybe maybe partly because last week Richard myself and Christy completely got carried away maybe um, but we were like really we're really positive. Um, and going into the game, I thought there's a chance of getting something from it. Um, and, you know, Rodgers is a good manager, uh, and he just implemented a, a game plan which completely nullified ev- everything Aberdeen have. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hadn't
1: seen the. the I hadn't been to any of the games previously with the, the new kind of defence, you know, of McKenna and Anderson, but everything I'd heard had been really good. So I, I must admit, my, my thought was. If Aberdeen get a clean sheet tonight, they'll win, you know, because I I thought we would get a goal, and I thought we would, if if we had kept a clean sheet, I I thought Celtic were vulnerable, but, you know, like everybody else, that just proved to be (laughs) considerably wider than mark, unfortunately.
0: Well, I think what we've seen on um, Saturday was that the elements of Celtic, which we'd maybe identified in the lead-up to the game last Wednesday, where they had maybe... Um, showing a little bit of mental tiredness as they chased down this record, maybe being a little bit unfocused for certain league games, as they clearly were on Saturday. They were, as you rightly pointed out a few minutes ago, Michael, none of that on Wednesday. They were entirely focused on the matter in hand. And of course, the early goal makes it, it changes the atmosphere. But yeah, I agree with you. I thought it was a, a bloodless beforehand, and yeah. certainly after that goal, which is not what you want in a battle of two sides who, after nine games into the season, are both up to tied on points at the top of the table. It didn't feel really genuinely like a top-of-the-table clash between two equals. But um, is it for all Chris that we can talk about maybe our players' limitations showing off badly in the head-to-heads against Celtic players, the things that were under our control, entirely under our control, like, for example, set-piece delivery, they, for example, just weren't good enough, were they?
2: Well, there is an element of that, of course, that isn't necessarily under our control in as much as the player who probably would have been delivering a lot to a of those set pieces wasn't allowed to play um, on the basis of the fact that he's owned by Celtic. So, I mean, obviously, um, you can't base your entire strategy around uh, a single player, and there will be occasions um, during the season where Ryan Christie is available and doesn't play, whether he's... Uh, not selected or injured or, or what have you and other players will have to step up um, and, and provide that service but uh, I, I think that is something that has never really been um, a major strong point um, over the last few years to be honest uh, and as as Michael said in reference to the, the, the new look strong defence of, of McKenna and Arneson and also having O'Connor and the midfield, and Considine back into the side at left-back, there's a huge amount of aerial power in there, and I suppose we want to add uh, McLean and Rooney for that as well, they're both um, adept at getting their heads on balls in the penalty areas, there's plenty of, uh, of targets there um, for, for set-piece delivery to aim at, and, um, and it is disappointing, I think, that, that Aberdeen don't routinely make better use of, of situations like that. Um, there is an element of course that if, if you kind of set your entire um, hopes of, of getting a result in what right, right, right you rightly say was top of the table battle between two teams that were two unbeaten teams that are level on points at the top of the league and if your attacking strategy is based on four or five players of six foot tall trying to get their heads on three kicks and corners then it does mean that you're lagging behind tack play other areas of the game um, and I think any concentration on set pieces first, it's obviously important and you know, as they always say, every goal counts the same as another and set pieces can be a dead cheap and easy way of, of getting them occasionally um, and it's obviously something that requires a lot of work on the training pitch but I think once it comes uh, into the, the 90 minutes itself I think you need to try and focus your attentions on on trying to out-football their opponents rather than uh, playing for set pieces. And I think in in every possible facet, um, Aberdeen fell short of that uh, against Celtic,
0: Michael, I think post-match, the reaction from the Darn Support, it kind of fell between two stools, both of which I find maybe a little bit dangerous. Uh, An overreaction from some... um, Railing against the manager Railing against certain players As people want to do uh, Based on the fact that Obviously we've been hammered 3 now at home And again they dearly wanted to win But I feel equally as dangerous Have been the rush to just write this off Due to the financial gulf That can be equally dangerous, can't it? Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely I mean I suppose There's always going to be kind of anger And, um, you know, scapegoating And blame and all the rest of it Because You know, I mean, losing heavily at home to Rangers or Celtic is always going to be unpalatable and it's just never going to be an easy result to swallow. Um, You know, I've been covering the Celtic in the Champions League, and pretty obviously, you have the same kind of dynamic in their Champions League group where, you know, they're getting heavy defeats from the likes of Paris Saint Germain and by Munich, and you know we have to make a call on how much of this is down to the strength and power of the opposition, and how much of it is Celtic not being able to play well, and in this case Aberdeen not playing well enough. Um, and, and, and it's not binary. I mean, there, you know, there's an element of both here. I mean, there's an element that that Celtic, on their day, are going to if they, everybody plays well, or the vast majority of their players play well, they are going to beat you. You know, um, they're a well-motivated, well-coached, tactically, tactically pretty clever team. Um, but, you know, we saw in the Scottish Cup final where we, we ran them an awful lot closer. Uh, and that's at Hampden when you've got, you know, just a shade under 50-50 of the support. But totally, you know, what do we have, 18,000 of our support there? 2,000 of them? You know, it should be somewhere that's testing them and, well, you know... We're going round over the same ground here, but we we just didn't. Um, I think Aberdeen can can play better than that, and you know there will be games when. Well, we'll come on to the manager how how long how long this will be the manager, but um, you know we'll we'll run Celtic closer again and beat them again. Um, But you know I I just think that they clicked they clicked last Wednesday, and um, you know. Uh, also, the context of whatever that is, eight consecutive wins for them against us. You know, I think there is a psychological element here that when they score, uh, our boys start to wonder uh, how we're going to get back into the game. And, um, and and that point you made about Christy you know, it's it, it's it's a sore one that we can't play um, a player that McInnes. Interestingly, I thought described as our best player mm-hmm. after the game. Now yeah. maybe that was just making a financial point. But he said last season we lost our best player to Celtic. This season our best player isn't available because he's a Celtic player. Um but uh, you know it's yeah, it listen, it was just it was a sore one.
0: Well nice easy one for you here Martin. Um where now. I mean Demacus after the game Sounded uh, Probably as depressed As he's done During his time As John's boss um, One of the quotes Was I can wrap my brains For what system What personnel But Celtic When they're in that mood Will win that game And that, that Element of defeat Is in there maybe But Yeah I mean Where do we go From here Such a Such A comfortable defeat
3: Yeah I mean It was It was very chastening Wasn't it I mean like it's no, there's a lot, but a lot of talk of how it would be how embarrassing and things like that. I mean, we we'll have to kind of be a bit realistic here. You know, Celtic last season were in domestic football invincible. Um, you know, in the league, ten other teams had four four plus goals that haven't beaten them and all failed. Um, and that was that on Wednesday. That was as strong a side as they have. Maybe Barr, you no, know, you swap out, maybe put Roderick in, maybe. Um, and then they go and rest six players for Kelly visiting on the Saturday. So, like Michael mentioned earlier on, um, you know, Aberdeen is a big game for them. So they wanted to send send a message. I mean, the question of you say is where do, where do, where did we go from that? Is you know, um, perhaps you have to settle for being second. Um, unfortunately, I don't want to. But you know, when you when you add in you know the fi- the finances. Um, just the the differences in the cl- in the clubs, you know, where, what we can sign in terms of players, um, you know, we're about to we're about to come onto in a minute, I'm sure. about Kenny McLean, we're going to lose one of our better players there as well. You know, Celtic Celtic have got you no know, pretty much unlimited resources in terms of Scottish football, so we perhaps just have to kind of you know settle for being second best. I don't want to. I'm sure none of you guys want to either, but. Um, I don't. I. I know. I don't know where else we can go from it either. Um, you kind uh, You look at the cups um, and say, well, you you win a cup and then you win a cup and it can be seen as success. But on any day, somebody is going to. Have to somebody is going to have to beat them. Um, last Wednesday, I genuinely, in my heart of hearts, honestly believed it would be us. Um, someone's going to beat them eventually, and ho- it, I just hope it'll be us. To be honest,
1: Martin, I th- I think, and, and I kind of wrote it in the paper today, but I actually think that when this run ends, this Celtic run ends, it won't be Aberdeen or Rangers or even Hibs or Hearts that beat them, it'll be a Kilmarnock or a St Johnston yeah. or a Motherwell, yeah. you know, and possibly a Parkhead. I mean they've only won two of their last five league games at Packhead, you know, they've dropped points to St Johnston and Hibs and uh, Kilmarnock at the weekend, and only Hibs was was a proper well this, is, this sounds weird, but you know, was a proper... Toe to toe between two of teams attacking. I mean, Kamaric and uh, St Johnson play play a game at, at, at Celtic Park, and it can work because they're just not they're just not always going to be on it, you know. Um, but, uh, but, but just very briefly, I was just going to say, you you know, what next? Hopefully, hopefully the team will respond as it has responded or did respond last season by you take a you take a hit and then you, you, you build a run again. Um, and you know, hopefully it's off to a good start by beating Ross County. They play Rangers in a back-to-back uh, games at the end of November and start to off December. I mean, you know, come out of them well, and everybody feels better about things again. And then, you know, touch wood, you get a decent set of uh, cup draws and, and wins, and, and then you know, then we see where we are in, in in March April. But it doesn't that doesn't really address the problem of. Four, five, six times a season you're hitting hitting Celtic And that, that's amounting to hitting a brick wall at the
0: moment We talked about this last week But I'd be interested to get uh, your point of view Chris and Michael uh, What constitutes success for Aberdeen In the current environment? Chris first
2: I think that um, we can't afford to have too short a memory uh, I think that everything that Aberdeen achieved Almost literally everything Um, that Aberdeen have achieved under Derek McInnes has been a success in the context of this club, and more specifically in the context of of where it was prior to his arrival. So if you look at the resources that everybody has available to them in this league, for Aberdeen to finish second is success. Um, For Aberdeen to continually reach, at very least, semi-finals um, of the National Cup competitions is uh, at least no worse than what you would expect them to be able to do. Um, so, it, you know, any club will measure itself against what should be expected of it. And I think if you look at what Aberdeen, the, the inputs that they are putting in, uh, both financial and in terms of the, the CVs of their playing staff, um, if you put all that into the pot and, and that's the inputs that they're putting in, then the results that they are getting out, Um, are are far in excess of what you would expect them to be. And in fact, the fact that we're sitting here wondering why Aberdeen are continuing to to beat their head against a brick wall against Celtic and trying to come up with how are we going to to beat this seemingly invincible team, that in itself is in fact success. Because what that means, the other side of that coin, is that essentially they're the only team that we have to worry about. Because we are so, uh, so regularly and so consistently defeating everybody else, many of whom are teams who are operating on very similar levels to ourselves uh, in terms of their resources, that um, it's actually really quite spectacular that Celtic are the only team that, that Aberdeen seem to have, um, or, or appear to have, this block against. So you know, what has been achieved to date and what continues to be achieved this season um, is is absolutely success. There is no question of it.
0: Michael, is that a fair assessment in your eyes, and, and can success, as far as you're concerned, be measured without there being silverware at the end of it?
1: Yeah, yeah listen, I, I couldn't agree more with, with everything that Chris said there. You know, I mean, for most of the last 20 years, we were taking heavy defeats off Celtic home and away, heavier than this, by the way, and... and there was all the other rubbish to deal with as well. You know, there was finishing ninth and tenth uh, in the league, and there was going out of cups to virtually any team that fancied beating us from any division. We seemed to be um, the softest of soft touches to all of that. Um, so, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more that this has been a, a highly successful period. You know, I'm of a generation that you know went through the years of the eighties, so you know you never quite get your head around the idea of it being a successful season when you haven't won anything but you know you do have to acknowledge how the landscape has changed you know extraordinarily uh, in, a, in a financial sense I mean it was almost a footnote last week when the figures came out that you know Celtic had banked 28 million pounds from UEFA from for the, the Champions League participation, you know, and you think that's and, and you know and Celtic fans crow about how you know how uh, the great benefactors they are to the rest of the league because everybody else gets this solidarity payment, you know. It, fine, the solidarity payment is welcome for every other club, but it's 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 buttons compared to the millions and millions and millions of pounds that come in just for reaching the Champions League group stage. Um, so, you, you, you know, you cannot divorce that. You, you cannot say uh, that the landscape hasn't changed hugely. I, I was Last week's podcast made the point about should we have won more under this, um, under this, uh, under the mechanics management. Yeah, probably, you know. Um, there, was, there was a couple of seasons where there weren't finals, and I think I've said it before in the podcast that the, the 2014 Scottish Cup, to me, well, uh, not all... Just frustrate me to my dying day because that was a cup that um, we should have been good enough to win. We weren't good enough to win. We would no right to win it. But when you're in the last four, and the old firm are both out, and you're the biggest team and you're the favourites in the last four, then and you're you know got the lift of just winning the league cup, we had to get across the line with that one. Um, but anyway, I'm rambling. But you know to go back to your original point: is it a successful? era, it yes? I, I totally agree with Chris's point.
0: Well, two things there. Firstly, uh, there's a very pertinent and very well-argued piece in the latest red final, if we may give it a plug, Chris, on that very point about the solidarity mm-hmm. payments uh, versus Celtic's £28 million. <laughs> Secondly, let's not go down the route of um, all bringing up past uh, heavy defeats to other teams because it'll be like the four Yorkshire sketch. We'll be here for the rest of the night. And... Um, <laughs> Let's move on to the topic of Kenny McLean, who has uh, announced his intention to leave at the end of his contract in June, or possibly even before. Uh, signed from St Marin in February 2015 for a sum, well, you choose which one you want to believe, anything between 150 and 300,000. Uh, and has a remarkable record of consistency under Derek McInnes. Uh, he's played in the last 115 straight Aberdeen games. Now we know clearly, Martin, based on Niamh again and Ryan Jack last season, that if he's here to the end of the season, Derek McInnes will more than likely play him. So that's taken out of the equation. But um, how big a loss do you think he'll be?
3: Actually, I do think he'll be a big loss. I mean, we've been we've been, and that's despite us having been very critical of him on the podcast. Um, I'm sure that cynics will point to the fact that you know now that he's in the shop window, um, his form will pick up. I mean, he was he was pretty good on saturday um i mean has he underperformed for aberdeen i would say yes he's prob- probably over the piece has performed below his ability um but he is a very good player um i don't think there's any getting away from that um you know i'm a fan of his and that's probably why that i've been really overly critical of him on here because i think there's a lot more from him um just to touch back on some of the guys we're saying there, I mean, if, you know, we're pretty much, we're all the wrong side of 30 on the, on here tonight. Um, if you're under 30, then, you know, the past four years or the past, you know, the era that Kenny McLean's been at the club, probably, you know, you've never had it so good. You know, and Kenny McLean's been a huge part of that success. Uh, you know, being the second best team in the country, winning a League Cup, you know, the European games that he's played in. Um, but a big fan of his, and I do think he'll be a big loss, and it's, Finding a, finding a replacement for him will be a pretty tough task.
0: Chris, do you think we ever really got the best out of Kenny McLean at Aberdeen? At St moment, he was used in a very specific role of Stephen Thompson and really excelled at that, but we seem to struggle to find a, a proper fit for him here, in my eyes. What about you?
2: I, there is an argument that I, I, I tend to agree with Martin's point that I think he probably has more to show than he has ever shown uh, for Aberdeen. But I do think, as he, as he alluded to there, he is being asked to do something quite different um, for Aberdeen. And I thought some of the things that Derek McKenna said about him on Tuesday were quite striking um, when he revealed that, that Kenny was going to be leaving. And some of the, the positive things that he said about him were, were quite unusual sort of things that, A manager would say about a player things about um you know his his statistics you know his high intensity work rate statistics you know kind of things that supporters would totally zone out from and not listen um to to that kind of level of detail but that he was off the charts and and was by far the 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 most efficient player um in the squad in that respect i think he's, he's quite similar to a lot of other. Maybe underappreciated uh, midfield players that we've had in the past, players like Brian Grant, perhaps, um, players who, who do an awful lot of really good work for that um, is it, kind of slightly away from the ball and isn't, um, isn't necessarily the kind of stuff that the supporters are going to go away from the match and remember. He hasn't contributed, let's not beat it around the bush, he hasn't contributed the number of goals or assists that I think you probably would have expected someone. Uh, who was brought in uh, for that kind of transfer fee and for that kind of fanfare to have done. But I think that's only partly because he hasn't lived up to his, his own ability and partly because he's actually being asked to do a, a different job for Aberdeen than, um, than maybe supporters expected he would be doing when he came here. And I think over the piece he has done it extremely well. And if that hadn't been the case, then he wouldn't have been selected to play in so many consecutive matches as, as McInnes selects him to play and clearly sees McLean as, as the absolute anchor um, of his team. And Given that he has been that, um, you can only say that he has been significantly responsible for the results that that team has been able to put together and they have been extremely good results, so you can only say that he is clearly, demonstrably, um, doing a very good job.
0: Um, Michael, it's uh clear that his role has evolved in the Saberine team from when he signed to now but he's surely at the stage of his career where he he can't just be the guy in the shadows getting 6 or 7 out of 10 every week, he has to now step up a level and if he really wants to make a success of his career really stamp his influence on games and I've not really seen that often enough from Kenny McLean No, no I agree with
1: you, I mean I think he's a player that shows you know, great uh, uh, technical ability and, and flashes of real quality. Um, uh, you're right. I mean, he's he's probably he's not an especially um, big presence on the on the pitch. I think you know he's he, um, you know he's, he's he's not a very authoritative figure on the on the pitch. Uh, 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 that was an interesting point that um, Chris made about what um, what McInnes uh, highlighted. About him in the uh, in his comments because I think really one interesting element of all this now is is, is why Derek McInnes went uh, public with this transfer uh, or sorry with this kind of contract development and also the obvious kind of um, repercussions that will have because. In Scotland, I think maybe fans are getting their heads around this idea of players announcing or I- I emerging mid-season that that players are going to leave or not sign a new deal. Um, but it, it, it's not it's all not all not an easy thing to always accept, especially when they suspect that a deal may have been done with somebody else, or in this case that Kenny McLean might be going to Rangers. Um, I think Derek McInnes's thinking was probably that, you know put it out on the eve of a Celtic game and it kind of gets submerged in all the kind of fuss and attention there is about the game. So, you know, although it was still covered, it didn't become the kind of dominant thing of the night and, and, it, and it was never going to be. You know, if Aberdeen won, that was the story. If Celtic had, had won heavily as they did, then that's the story. So I think that is why he put it out then rather than wait a few days or or or, or weeks or whatever and put it out around a low-key game. He's known for a couple of weeks, I think. McLean wasn't going to resign, but the other point is about how the fans take to him. Um, you guys will maybe tell me what, if anything, there was any kind of reaction around him in the Ross County game, where it's a kind of a quieter kind of environment. Um, but you know, for as long as he's at Aberdeen, they need him to play. You know, they need him to uh, deliver rather than this stuff that hear about a player having his head turned and all that sort of stuff. If he's to go in January and we get a fee, great, there's a fee. Um, if he's to be here until May, um, I know that Derek McKinnons will probably try to convince him that he could stay and help us win the Scottish Cup. That's what he did with Hayes. Um, but for as long as he's around, you know, Aberdeen need him to be motivated and not, you know, booed or jeered whenever he touches the ball. Um, so, I don't know, guys, I mean, what, you know, what, what's was there any kind of reaction
0: around him at the county game? Or no, not was... at all, not at all. Um, yeah. Absolutely, just got on his business and actually was probably our best player on Saturday, in, in my eyes. But um, yeah. no, there was, there, there was none of that. Um, well, <laughs> that yeah. would obviously change if, you, if a decision is announced that he's going somewhere, but that'll be a... <laughs> yeah, it would depend where it is. I mean, if
1: it's to an English club, then you kind of shrug your shoulders really, I guess, don't you? If it's, if it's Rangers, then obviously there's a different thing
0: around the whole thing, but I
1: don't know, I mean, Rangers don't have a manager
0: at the moment, so I don't you know, I, really? this kind of foregone conclusion that Kenny McLean's going to Rangers, I don't I, I, that, that doesn't really make sense to me at the moment uh, Well, we might return to that breaking news that uh, they don't have a manager at box later on in the show. Um, now <laughs> Aberdeen got <laughs> back to business on Saturday against Ross County, um, I think the first thing was to see how The Dons reacted to that rather chastening defeat against Celtic in midweek. And, um, well, it didn't start so good, did it, Chris? Uh, Joe Lewis, not his first pick-up this season, uh, letting in the opening goal from Michael Gardine after eight minutes. uh, A ball that did move. I was in the Richard Dons stand, and it definitely did move. Shades, maybe, of the goal that that, uh, Lee Griffiths scored against them with Petaudry back in May. Um, But not his first pick-up this season, obviously. How many is too many before we start thinking does he need a couple of weeks out of the team?
2: Uh, as we said before, in reference to other things, I think you do need to be mindful of um, what has gone before and I think Joe Lewis has probably made fewer mistakes in his entire Aberdeen career than certain goalkeepers who have gone before him would make in a match so <laughs> I, I wouldn't
0: would think that, <laughs> uh, There is now the devil's advocate here, you understand Chris <laughs> I
2: respect um look I think when he when he makes errors like that and I think he's there is mitigation on Saturday it was very windy and uh, you're quite right to point out that the ball didn't end up going where he was expected to go um or indeed Garda uh, for that matter. he was a surprised yeah. um I, I I do think that um you need to look at his entire body of work and, um, and understand the, the level of player that clubs in our position um, are going to be in the market for and is Joe Lewis as good a goalkeeper as a club like Aberdeen paying the wages that Aberdeen are going to be able to get then yeah I think it probably is. Um, is there anyone else at the club who will do a better job? I, I, I'm a fan of Danny Rogers, I like him he's a good goalkeeper, I wouldn't be averse to seeing him uh, have an opportunity before the end of the season um, but I think as in when that comes it will be just as that it will be as A chance to give him an opportunity in the team and i can't see that being any situation in which it would be because lewis could draw um but he's certainly even this season even with um the mistakes that he has made those few handful of mistakes that he's made he has gained us more points than he's cost us i don't think i doubt that i'm sure everyone remembers the the game of Horryfield and it's still fresh in everyone's memories so I, I wouldn't think that there's, there's any concern of that. It's an exposed position. It's a position where if you make an error, it's talked about. Um, and I think the fact that this is being talked about, again, is evidence of the fact that it's so unusual. Um, but as if it had been any one of the gentlemen that went before him, whose names I won't uh, bring up, um, I think people would have probably just said, "Ah, oh, that's another
0: one. That's very harsh and Jim Leighton, that. We won't won't talk anymore about Joe Lewis Because there was a a large degree of devil's advocacy about that Um, We are definitely not advocating that that Joe Lewis be dropped He has done a largely excellent job since he signed for us uh, at the start of last season But what we will move on to talk about And probably something we'll talk about a few times during the course of this season Is um, we opted to go with um, Scott Wright and Greg Stewart supporting Stevie May on Saturday, Uh, Adam Rooney dropped to the bench. Now, the benefits of what Stevie May can bring to the team were shown very clearly with his link-up play outside the box for that stunning Lancaster equaliser. But I do wonder, Michael, if we're going to go with one out-and-out striker at home to sites like Ross County below us in the league... Are we not better going with a guy who acts as a proper focal point for the attack? One who won't roam too far from goals like Adam Rooney? I mean, this com- comes back again to yeah. the limitations of certain players. Rooney used to get criticised by a certain subsection of the support for not doing enough out of the box. My worry is Stevie May is doing too much of his good work outside the box. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's
1: a valid point. Um, you know, uh, I'll never criticise Adam Rooney. I just think the guy is magnificent um, in terms of what he's done for Aberdeen. But, um, th- you know, there, there's sense in playing him against Ross County and less sense in playing him against Celtic, I think, because, um, you know, there's going to be more ball in the Ross County box. And, you know, that's when Rooney's at his best. He's, he's a sniffer of little chances in around the six-yard box. You know, you would always think there's going to be more ball in there against County. Um, TV May, I thought, um, I, I thought his work rate against Celtic was was excellent. Uh, from what I saw on the television, I thought it was a really cute little pass he gave Christie for the for the opening goal on Saturday. It was there was a real bit of quality on that. I liked it. Um, I you know he, he's not really scoring as many goals as I would have hoped or thought from the. Couple he got at the start against um, Dundee, wasn't it? Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Rooney, um, as, as he shows with his kind of periodic hat tricks, it, it's it's kind of against the teams that you would maybe expect him to get hat tricks against, and I, I, that isn't at all meant in a in a disparaging way because you know uh, we cried out for years for a finisher like Rooney, um, but I think against. Certainly against Celtic is a kind of team that he's not really, he's not really adding very much or, or working their defenders in the way that he could have against um, against the likes of a
0: county. Well, let's speak a little bit more about that goal, and I, I think it's absolutely right to mention the part that both Kenny McLean, who plays a very smart ball into Van Christie at the outset, and Stevie May play in it, but Martin. Ryan Christie provides a taste of what we missed against Celtic. Another showreel moment for the kid, and really the X factor that the side doesn't have without him. I don't think at the moment uh, a guy that really makes things happen out of nothing.
1: He does, yeah. I mean,
3: he's got that kind of. He's got. Dare I say he's kind of. It's a, it's flashes of what we had with, with Johnny Hayes. Um, I think Christie's a far better player. That's not a criticism of Johnny Hayes. Before anybody gets too excited. But Christie just has this ability on the ball that is he's he's one of those players I think you know we've heard the phrase before where you would pay to watch him play um, and he's one of those guys where he's capable of these these little flashes of brilliance um, and you use the, the word x factor is just a perfect think way to describe him he has that just that innate ability um and the, the goal was just... I mean, that's for me, and I know obviously I'm very biased, but in terms of in, in Scottish football, though that's the goal of the season uh, so far. I mean, I don't think we'll see a better piece of football uh, the, the rest of this season because it was just a wonderful, wonderful move and an absolutely sensational finish.
0: It's a beautiful moment, uh, Chris, it's absolutely, and one which rightly has gained the headlines. But again with Ryan, what comes with what he does on the ball can be a tendency to be quite loose in possession and maybe this is an indication of why he hasn't really broken through under Brendan Rodgers yet and that may come given time it probably will come. In direct contrast to him I think we've got Greg Stewart who has taken a little bit longer to settle into the side but he's someone who really takes great care over the ball and I think that's really evidenced by his work prior to the winning penalty kick on Saturday.
2: Uh, yeah, I think an actual fact that the, the players who were added in the summer um, are quite different both to each other um, and to what went before. I think that's maybe part of the reason why the early weeks of the season kind of maybe felt a little clunky and it felt like the team wasn't really coming together yet. But it, it, it did necessitate a change in emphasis. It was... Um, the team plays differently now than it did last season, that's inevitable Um, obviously it also means that there's an element of horses for courses um, on the go as well because there are basically four players in Christy, Mackay, Stephen uh, Stewart and Wright not all of whom will ever play simultaneously so McInnes will have to choose which two or three of those players are are the best fit for, for a particular game, and they all have very different um, attributes. And Stewart's are, as you as you pointed out, um, maybe a little more uh, guile than maybe some of the others. Whereas Scott Wright, for example, is maybe more of a um, more of a blunt instrument at this point in time. You know, he gets the ball, runs with it, has that ability to beat people. I I think it's great that the team has has those options, has the ability to mix things up, um, present different uh, different problems to defences. Because I do think there were occasions in the last couple of seasons where certain opponents did kind of have the number on us, and they've worked out the the threat that that Aberdeen posed. And if they could nullify that threat, then we would have a good chance to get a result game, so it's definitely opponents that Aberdeen have the chance to, to mix things up a wee bit, but I do agree that as you yourself alluded to in respect of the the chopping and changing of Adam Rooney, it can be the case where um, too many cooks spoil the broth and you know, sometimes changes are made for the sake of change and uh, players who would have possibly more of an impact on a a given game um, are left out of it because it's maybe somebody else's turn to get a game in in the start of 11. So it's it's a difficult balancing act, but Stuart's definitely a player who offers things to the squad that I don't think anybody else um, in the current squad has it a lot.
0: Well, that was Saturday. A a reasonable response to the result against Celtic midweek and certainly to going a goal down early on. Uh, Played some really, really nice stuff, I thought, without really threatening to go to town on the county goal. Um, And that's possibly the lack of a focal point for most of the game, probably Probably as a reason for that. But in the background to that victory, um, a great deal of speculation about our manager. Because apparently there's a job going at a ground McInnes used to play at in his playing career. Um, Michael, without wishing to ruin any uh, back page story you might have uh, ready to go on The Times tomorrow morning. <laughs> Tell us what you know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know that I don't have a story on the back page. But about, about. Um, the one thing I would say about this is it's a it's the sort of story that can suddenly change uh in a, in a minute you know you suddenly you, something breaks from somewhere and, and rangers have, have you know asked permission to speak to or they've gone for somebody else so you know I, I, anything i say comes with that caveat that um, it could be instantly overtaken by events um the, t- the two elements here are is Derek McInnes the guy that rangers are going to go for and if they do would you accept it? Would they be able to pay the compensation? Yes, I think they would. Um, I think it's a fair bit less than the 1.5 million that has been um, reported in some papers. I think it's under a million. Um, so I think if they had any sense, given the sort of money that they, uh, I'll diplomatically say, squandered in the summer uh, on various players who've made no, little, little or no contribution, I mean it would be it would madness not to. To spend, you know, somewhere between eight hundred thousand and a million pound on the manager, if they think he's going to be the guy. So I don't think compensation would be a factor. Um, will they go for him? My hunch would be yes. Uh, I haven't heard anything that is pointing to them going uh, away from, you know, a manager who knows the scene, knows the club a bit, knows Scottish football. Nobody said to me that it's going to be down at the for sure. But he does—he does sort of fit the bill. He is a kind of anti-Pedro Cashina in that in that sense. Um, uh, and I don't see any of the alternative. You know, the the other names that have been mentioned have have kind of been uh, shot down a little bit by the club. You know, uh, Michel Prudhomme, the former Belgian goalkeeper, was mentioned at the weekend. That was shot down. Now nobody has shot down the McInnes link. Um, the one thing I would say is Mark Allen, the director of football, will have a role in this appointment. Um, he could come with a contacts book or friendships or connections that we don't know about and it might give them, uh, point them in another direction from McInnes. But as it stands, I would be surprised if, if they don't make an approach to Aberdeen to speak to McInnes and then you're on to the second element, which is would he go?
0: Well, Chris, uh, when we last had this uh, threat back in the summer, he obviously turned down the approach from Sunderland, uh, who are owned by a genuine multi-millionaire and have a clear path back to the Premier League to money into the club, whereas it's less clear-cut in Scotland. It makes you wonder how this post can be more appealing. Is it that uh, partly perhaps the... um, the job at Aberdeen, he feels maybe after what happened on Wednesday that it's a more distant prospect of really doing something?
2: I think that's a fair point. I think timing is definitely an issue. There there is kind of an element of a perfect storm about it because I I think Wednesday would have been quite jarring um, for McInnes. I think he spoke very eloquently and lucidly after the match but with an air of resignation about the fact that... um, the job that he has at Aberdeen, i.e. to try and uh, overcome the Celtic theme of Brendan Rogers, might to some extent be uh, one which cannot, cannot be done. Um, and that being so, perhaps things have changed. There's also the stadium thing going on in the background, but I think um, that was a significant factor in attracting him to stay in Aberdeen over the summer and things probably haven't moved forward as far as he would have been expecting and I suspect he probably now thinks that his chances of leading the club into that new stadium are greatly for the minute. Um, so all of those taken together it may be the case that he is beginning to think perhaps there is little more that, that I can do at the club. Second question of course is does he think he'll be able to satisfy his professional ambitions and um, at, a, at another club that currently has a managerial vacancy. And to be honest, I think if he's, um, if he's got his wits about him, I think that there is probably a good chance that better situations than this one might lie ahead in the future.
0: Because I think Martin, looking at trying to be as emotionless as possible about this, isn't this essentially just the same challenge? That he would have at Aberdeen, albeit better remunerated, bigger budget than at Pottodre, absolutely. But you're still t- talking of a 10 million pound wage budget against a 25 million pound wage budget, taking a knife to Celtic's gunfight with a far less patient or understanding in any respect to the word crowd.
3: <laughs> yeah, um, you're exactly right. Yeah, I'll get it out there personally. I don't think he will. He would go. Um, I mean, the club that that club is. From top to bottom An absolute basket case anyway um, It can always has been But the, the recently it's been even worse um, Even if he was to go there They still won't be able to do What the fans want um, And they are You know They're 10 years off Of being able to challenge Celtic So it's exactly He'd be leaving for exactly The same job um, There's no such I don't think there's any way Of them getting the serious Investment that To challenge So their fans have Really short memories About where they've come from um, And I think that that is, you no, know, no, to coin the, an often used phrase, it is the ultimate poison chalice. Um, I'd like to think that um, Derek McInnes would see it that way, um, and perhaps you know, maybe one day you know, he's I mean, he's not going to be Aberdeen manager until he retires. No, I think you know everybody's accepting of that. Um, perhaps one day he will be Rangers manager, but um, personally, I would think that he has aspirations of coaching it. You know, a, a higher level, um, probably in England. So to go there and to possibly damage his reputation would be would be pretty pretty catastrophic for him. I mean, Celtic will have the Champions League cash coming in for the next every year for the next you no know, at least what three four seasons. So you'll be constantly kind of pissing into the wind basically. Um, hopefully, you know, if you look, compare it to last season as well, I think if you want to see where Derek McInnes is looking at it from, yeah, he was pretty resigned after the game on. Wednesday. Um, this time last year, we were, are we're, no, we're, I Think we're sitting maybe fourth, ten points behind off a of Celtic, having played a game more. Um, hopefully, Derek looks at it and thinks, well, we can put up a better and longer challenge this year, um, and that's why he's going to want to stay.
0: Michael, I'm about to invoke the first ever mention of Ian Duncan Smith on a Scottish football podcast. Um, but this <laughs> yeah. feels very much like that sort of appointment that uh, the Alberts Club would have to make now, uh, an appointment. Duncan Smith obviously was named Conservative leader after the ninety-seven election when there was no chance of them being in power for the next few years. He was a short-term stability appointment and it feels like that's what the next Rangers manager is going to have to be. It doesn't strike me as a post right now for an ambitious manager.
1: You know, around the pubs of Glasgow...
0: They're speaking about nothing else.
1: (laughs) 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 <laughs> Ian, Ian Duncan Smith's name is gets constantly.
2: <laughs> I'd be all in favour of Ian Duncan Smith being the Rangers <laughs> man. <matches.
1: laughs> they might quite like that as well. To be honest. Is that a bit
0: highbrow? <laughs> do we think I've have, have yeah, pitched that a bit too highbrow? Sorry, I'll lean it back.
3: <laughs> Watch the odds. Sh- what's the odds shortened on that tomorrow morning? <laughs> yeah, Ideas,
0: ideas,
1: yeah. Um, listen, I think there are there are. There are certain things, let's let's not be, uh, you know, let's not cut ourselves on. There's, there's going to be things about this the Rangers job that if it comes to an offer for McKinnis that are going to appeal to him. You know, it, it, it's his club, it's the club he supported as a kid. He played for them, he knows them inside out, he still knows what's going on at that club. Um, wh- you know, whoever it is that speaks to him, they will offer him money. You know, they will offer him transfer money, they, they, they just gave... Um, between 8 and £10 million pounds to Cacchini over the summer. Now, you know, they, they would have to um, dip into... The, the directors would have to dip into their pockets again and and make money to try and prize him out of Aberdeen. You know, he, he would look at the squad they have and think, well, I can do better than that with these guys. I can manage this lot better. A, a training ground, you know, I think we all know the frustration that he has about... Getting into a van with the players in the morning and, and, and you know driving around Aberdeen trying to find somewhere to train um, a training ground who would appeal to him. So all of that is in the favour, and, and you know none of us know just how strong the emotional pull uh, would be on him. And also, as Chris said, you know it, it's coming at a point. If it comes, it comes at a point where he's probably feeling pretty hopeless about the the challenge or the potential to challenge Celtic at the moment. So that's all. Uh, those are the factors that would point towards him going. But against it, uh, and the point is brilliantly made, that um, it would be a pretty comparable challenge. You know, you're up against this Celtic uh, club at the moment, which is is formidable, and there's no sign of it becoming any less formidable because more and more money is being poured into it. Brendan Rodgers, you know, I don't know how long he'll be here, but he's certainly looking like he'll be here for another season or two. you know that brings them closer to ten in a row, which is a big you know it's a it's a shrug of the shoulders for the rest of us but to Rangers and celtic it's uh it's it, you know it's a big factor. Would you want to be the Rangers manager when ten in a row is is reached by celtic um you know Derek McInnis of knows what it's like to play for one of the old firm, and it, and it can be a great life for these guys. You know, it's, it's uh, you're well rewarded. You know, there's fame, there's celebrity. But if you're if you're up against the other lot when they're dominant, it, it's not much fun. You know, it's um, you've got you would have Rangers fans in your face all day, Saying sort this out. You know, getting more and more uh, frustrated and kind of uh, aggressively making the point, and then you've got. Celtic fans just kind of, <laughs> you know, reveling in it in, in, uh, in your relative inferiority. So that, that you know, that's not that, there's not much pleasure in that. So that, plus, uh, you know, you, you called it a basket case. There's no question that Derek McKinnis would have huge reservations about the structure at Rangers, and who he's dealing with. You know, there's a director of football there which doesn't strike you as the kind of structure that he'd be comfortable with. The chairman's in South Africa Who's on the ground that you're dealing with You know um, For all that Stuart Mill gets criticised His relationship with Garrett McInnes Is really strong, really solid um, And it's comparative, comparable To What Brendan Rogers has with Dermot Desmond and Peter in At Celtic You, you, you can't have that at, C- at Rangers Because the figures aren't there for, for you to have That kind of relationship So all of that would have to change So I suppose the the bottom line is one that we don't know because he's never really going to come out and speak about it, but it's how big would the emotional pull be to go and manage Rangers if the offer comes?
0: Well, hopefully by the time we reconvene on this podcast next week, uh, it is uh, a question which we don't have to revisit and Derek McInnes is still in charge at Pataudry. It wouldn't always be the end of the world if Derek McInnes left Aberdeen. That day will come and Aberdeen will continue past that point. There are other managers out there, some of them will do a worse job. Some of them might do the similar job, which would be a very, very good job, as Derek McInnes has done. And who knows, maybe there might even be someone out there that could do a better job. They'd have to do a damn good job, though, to do a better job than Derek McInnes. Let's very briefly talk about Hamilton away on Saturday. Uh, relatively poor record at New Douglas Park lately. But our away form recently, Chris, it's probably the best we've ever had uh, as a club.
2: It is, and I think the basis for that is that we're actually actively trying to win games when we go away from home. Um, under many previous managers there was this kind of old-fashioned mentality that a draw away from home is a good result. Um, If you have pretensions to be a challenging team at the top end of the league, then you need to go to places like Hamilton and accept the fact that you want to be a better team than them and therefore that means that over 90 minutes, regardless of where you're playing them, you need to go and try and beat them. And Aberdeen have been very um, forthright um, like Hibbs a couple of weeks ago was a really good example of that. A team that's on the up, playing really good football. It would have been very easy for Aberdeen teams, of season's fast, to go there, put the shutters up, and you know try and get, in inverted commas, a positive result. Well, Aberdeen don't do that under Derrick McInnes. They go to places like this and try and win. don't always do it. Hamilton, in particular, were a real pain in the backside last season, um, and a couple of seasons before that. Um, but you can guarantee it will go there at the weekend and try and play on the front foot. Uh, try and be the team that's that's moving the ball, that's that's setting the tempo of the game. Um, and I think if Aberdeen return a performance that is anywhere near the level of capability of the players have put on the park, then they should win the game.
0: Michael, Hamilton had this knack of pulling out a result when you really least expect them to. I think they've lost six in a row prior to winning at Den's Park on, on Saturday. And, you know, we have recent experience to know that this is a fixture that we could come a cropper in if we're not fully prepared.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Chris used the phrase that you need to go to places like Hamilton. I, I would argue there are no places like Hamilton. There's, there's only Hamilton, you know, with that pitch and... The bus behind the ground and the you know <laughs> the, the small stands and all the rest of it. None, none of which seems to none of, the, none of which seems to suit Aberdeen or, or bring out the best in us. Um, you, you're right. You know, every single year, guys like me predict that they'll go down and that the fan base is too small. To Keep them up and all the rest of it. And they they, they dig out results. You know, and, and they dig out quiet points and quiet wins that really going to go well under the radar, but do enough to keep them up, um, and after six six straight defeats, you know, they go and get a point against Patrick Thurston, then they go and beat Dundee at Dennis Park, pretty convincingly, and you think, okay, here they go again, this is the kind of stuff that keeps them up. I think we've got a pretty awkward little set of games coming up, now the whole tone of everything is going to be set by what happens with McInnes if he stays or if he goes, but you look at it, Atty's away... A home to Motherwell, a way to Kilmarnock, who look like they're going to be stuffy opposition to beat. Then the Rangers double header, so it's you know it's it's a pretty testing half dozen games coming up. Um, we've just got Argy's before the international break, um, and I, I think you guys are the stats kings, but I would have it in my head that we've got a pretty good record of you know getting a decent result before the international breaks and and, and going into them with a bit of a spring, you know.
0: Yeah it tends to be after the international breaks run out Because there's maybe overthought the tactical setup up That we struggle But um, it, it's right to make that point Martin Because obviously we have a week off For the uh, Holland friendly A win would guarantee that we can keep that gap Of at least five points to third And, and stay and let's not forget this and all the doom and gloom about being hammered by Celtic They dropped points again on Saturday We were point off the top And if we were at Hamilton we were, you know at worst that so, obviously
3: very important. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, to be, I suppose if, if you if you were to offer us at the start of the season, I mean, and obviously the Rangers game's been moved, so after almost a complete round of games, um, to be one point behind the league leaders, I think you would have probably snatched their hands, your hand off for that. But, yeah, um, a nice gap to the third-place team, just to keep them in their place and just to make sure that Know, the message is sent that you know we may have taken a bit of a, a bit of a hammering, last Wednesday, but we're still, you know, we're still, we're not, we're not giving up by any stretch of the imagination. And that, you know, I think there's a lot of, a lot of chat that people were thinking that you know after McInnes' comments they were worried, they were worried about how Aberdeen would react. Well, I um, win on, I win on Saturday, and then another win this Saturday um, would certainly go a long way to shutting that up.
0: And Chris, uh, we are actually eight points better off this season uh, than we were this time last season. We'll do, we'll do very well to match our post-Christmas form of last year, this year. Uh, but uh, it's, a, you know, a lot of doom and gloom following last Wednesday's result, but it's important to keep it in perspective.
2: Yeah, absolutely. As I said before, I think that the fact that people were so disappointed about the result and the performance against Celtic is a function of how good Aberdeen have been against everybody else. Um, and that has continued since then, albeit a small sample size of the one game against Ross County. Um, and if it continues through the the next little period of games against uh, teams which Michael rightly described as awkward, but teams that you should be confident that you're going to be able to beat. They're all certainly teams that are sitting below us in the league table just now. And um, if we can continue the the the, uh, the form that we've shown against those teams over the next month or so. Um, then I think the, perhaps the psychological damage of the Celtic game won't be forgotten but the result will be um, when people look at the league table and see that it's still hanging
0: on in Well that's our show for this week uh, thank you very much for joining us and thank you to Chris Crichton thanks Chris Thank you The most recent issue of the Red Final was out just last week and you can pick it up uh, electronically uh, Chris would you like to give the traditional plug please?
2: Absolutely, it's uh, selfie s e l l f y dot com slash the red final. As I say, last week's issue is there, and all one hundred and fifty preceding ones are there to download in electronic format as well.
0: Excellent, Uh, and obviously you can find them on social media where the link will be as well. Our thanks also to Michael Grant for uh, at least half uh, humouring us on Ian Duncan Smith reference. It was worth it for that alone <laughs> And I feel like I'm going to have to brush up With my uh, British political history for than my next appearance If there is one And uh, thank you to
3: Martin Clunas, Martin thanks
0: Thanks guys <laughs> We'll be back uh, next week After the Hamilton match uh, Hopefully looking back on three points And um, hopefully keeping our manager uh, Be prepared for a throughout the next few days